Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right. Are you thankful for those guys uh, leading worship? Man. They, uh, they did a great job. Uh, Matt and Maddie are visiting some family in Indiana, and so that's why you know it looks a little different, but man, they did a fantastic job leading us in worship. And uh, Tyler was saying before how like he was like kicking it old school. A lot of, if you've grown up in the church, been around church for a while, you probably recognize some of those songs. Like some of those are actually like classics now. It's kind of crazy, like how old you can get really quickly. You don't even realize it until you try to get out of bed and try to reach for something and pull your back. So I'm just going off on a tangent here. But anyway, I'm glad you guys are here and I'm excited to uh, continue, actually wrap up our series today. We are finishing up the series Lost in Translation. It's been a good one for me. I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to you. We've been talking about what uh, words from the Bible that we may or may not really understand exactly what they mean. Like we think we know what they mean, but do we really know what they mean? And today we are doing one that uh, I'll tell you in just a second what it is. But I want to tell you this first and get you to think about this. Um, here's a statement that's a little bit of a, uh, you know, throw something in the middle of the pool and see what happens. Um, Jesus would probably not be welcome in a lot of churches. Jesus would probably not be welcome in a lot of churches in, in this world. He would definitely probably not be popular. I mean, if he came in on the scene like he did back 2,000 years ago, people didn't know that he was the Son of God. We don't have the, you know, the ability to look back on the past and see, oh, yeah, he was exactly who he said he was. But he arrives on the scene in 2022. He would not be popular, probably even less popular than he was back then. I, I might be wrong, but I think that at first he would really rub some people the wrong way. I can absolutely guarantee you, um, now this is coming from a preacher, and so this might not resonate with you, but I can absolutely guarantee you that he would not be invited to speak at church growth conferences. He would not. You know, there's church growth conferences that are really good, and I enjoy them, and they're encouraging to me. I learn a lot of things, but he would not be invited to speak at them. Uh, it, people would not like what he had to say oftentimes. Um, he definitely wouldn't be popular on Twitter. Um, he would not be telling people about how they can live their best life and no bad things will ever happen to them. That's not what he would be saying. He would say, like we talked about last week, his version of blessed and what it means to be blessed would actually rub a lot of us the wrong way. We wouldn't understand exactly what he was meaning. When we say blessed, like we talked about last week, if you weren't here, go back and listen to that. Not right now. Listen to me right now. But go back and listen to the podcast or watch on Facebook Live. The record, Excuse me. The recording, you can do that. But here's the thing. We talked about how the fact that when we are blessed, oftentimes it's through trials. Oftentimes it's through difficult times where we learn to focus on who God is and how good he is. That's truly what you see, especially in the New Testament, about what blessing is. Can it be financial? Can it be uh, you know, health? Can it be those things? Yes, it can. But if you look at scripture, a lot of times it's not. And Jesus taught that more than anybody else. He talked about being poor in spirit is what leads to blessing. To be persecuted because of righteousness, that's what leads to blessing. So he wouldn't be really popular in that sense. And Jesus, he could really thin out a crowd. He could really thin out a crowd. And so sometimes I realize I'm more like Jesus than I think. I can thin out a crowd pretty well. But here's the thing. The modern church, with all of its flavors and denominations and consumerism and easy believism, allows for a much 
more shopper-friendly version of being a disciple of Jesus. You can absolutely, you can absolutely find a church that will make you feel comfortable with your level of willingness to follow Jesus. That, my friends, um, is a convicting statement to me, and it's a convicting statement to the church if we're listening. Not just our church right here, the people inside these four walls, but the church as it exists. It is an easy thing to find in America and in other parts of the world too. It's easy to find a church that will make you feel comfortable with your level of willingness to follow Jesus. It's okay for think, people to do things different ways. I mean, it's absolutely okay, except for scripture. We need to be united on the truth of God's word. But here's what I'm saying. Just because there's an easier version out there supposedly of following Jesus doesn't mean that it's right. And so what we're talking about today is the word disciple. You can follow Jesus and know some Jesus truths and still, and, and even know scripture. And the scripture looks like that you still might not be a disciple. This um, is not a popular thing to say. It doesn't sound like something that's going to increase numbers, and it might not. And here's the thing. You can follow Jesus in Scripture and still not be a disciple. Jesus set a really high bar for what a disciple looked like. So when Jesus said the word that we translate disciple into English, what was he meaning? What did it look like? What did they do? What would a disciple be like? There's a word that's commonly translated disciple into our English Bibles, uh, and it's uh, mathetes. It's the Greek word mathetes, and it can be translated learner, pupil, disciple. It gives the idea of someone who's acquiring knowledge, and many of us, if you've grown up in church especially, you might start thinking about rabbis, which, you know, Jesus was considered a rabbi, uh, a teacher, and there would be people who would come and learn from him and follow him. And, and if you do, you're on the right track. You're absolutely on the right track. But what Jesus meant was actually something even more deep. It was something even more intense. And so I want us to look at that this morning. You see, the learning part, especially for most of us, and I, I think this is, you know, a tale as old as time. The learning part is often really attractive to most people. Most of us, no matter whether we are, you know, the intellectual type or not, we still want to be thought of as being smart. We want to be thought of as being intelligent. And we love, you know, to be able to impress somebody with some facts and with some knowledge. So the learning part is really popular. A lot of us enjoy learning facts about Jesus. You know, um, if there's a written exam on the day of judgment, a lot of us will be in really good shape. You know, especially if it's multiple choice. You know, you got, you know four chances, you got, you know, a 25% chance of getting it right, you know, it's, um, I don't know about you guys, now I'm really dating myself, but maybe there'll even be like the little, y'all remember Scantron, y'all remember those little bubbles, the neater your bubbles, the more likely you are to, you know, oh, he got a few wrong, but he got the bubbles circled in really nicely, it's good, that's good, some of y'all are like, what in the world is a Scantron, is that a transformer, you know, you don't know what it is, but here's the thing, unfortunately, from what we see in scripture, on the day of judgment, it's not going to be a multiple choice test facts about Jesus thing. You can know a lot of facts and that's good, but it's not going to be a written exam. And as for following Jesus, though, if we really lean more towards that knowledge thing, we want knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Following Jesus in the difficult places with difficult people. You know, you can kind of miss me with that stuff, right? 
It's the way a lot of people treat it. I, I don't have time to go into difficult, scary places and deal with difficult people. I've got enough of those in my house, right? That's what most of y'all are thinking. Uh oh, some of y'all are afraid of getting fussed at when you get home? So you. Here's the thing. There are also some that like the following part, in a sense. They like the following part, and they can tend to morph Jesus into a social worker of sorts. And they want to go around just helping people's felt needs and physical needs. And that's part of it too, but that's not all of it. And as for studying the truth of Scripture, well, you know, I can't really be bogged down with all those things that seem so absolute. You know, I'm good. It seems a little bit authoritarian, and it seems like it's a lot of rules, and I just want to help people. And so it's easy to fall on one side of the spectrum or the other and feel like we're really good and everybody else is really, really bad. And everybody else is, bless their heart. Some of y'all were here last week paying attention. You know what I'm talking about. You feel like you know exactly what's going on and we just want to help people or we just know a lot about Scripture. And if everybody else would just learn to our level, then they could be good and they could be good disciples. Now, here's the thing. Joining those two ideas together is our goal, more in, in, in the real sense of it. And it's what we want to strive for. But can we go deeper? More than just acknowledging facts there again, more than just saying, okay, we know we need to follow Jesus. What does it really mean? If we take a step back and we look at the big picture of what we see described as a disciple, it can be summarized like this. And there's a lot of passages of scripture, but for the sake of time and, uh, you know, you've been able to stay awake, I want to look at Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. It says that uh, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then you skip down to verse 33, I think. All right, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Actually, I, I skipped verse 27, excuse me. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I, I want you to think about for just a quick second. Look, look back there at the very first uh, verse there, verse 25. It says, now great crowds accompanied him. Jesus did this multiple times in Scripture. It's easy to miss if you don't really pause and, and, and stop and think about it. But he would see a crowd. It said a great crowd was around him, and then he would do something really kind of crazy. He would say something really strange. Yeah, oh, by the way, if you want to follow me, you got to hate pretty much everybody in your life. you got to hate your mama. That ain't good. And here's an even harder one, for, especially in our world, in our society, and the way we think, you got to hate your children. No, -uh. And if that's exactly what he means, there's a, a, a problem, there's an issue. And, and here's the thing. Jesus, in this one passage, and as I said, there are many more, he calls disciples to hate their mother and father, their wife, their children, their brothers and sisters, and, of course, their husbands can be implied there as well. Hate their own lives, bear their cross, and come after him. And then, to top it off, renounce everything you have. If, if what? If you want 
to be my disciple. That is a way to thin out a crowd, am I right? That's a way to thin out a crowd. You know, you know, imagine you're new and, you know, and you're like, I heard last week this guy gave everybody a bunch of bread and fish. That's what I was coming here for. I was ready for a fish fry. He's talking about hate mama. Uh-uh. You know, it's like people, that is a turnoff, you know. Can you imagine, you know, from what we, you know, telling a, a Jewish person, hate your mom, <laughs> you know, from what we see. It's like don't hate them. Hate your children. Hate yourself. Hate everything about you. Give up everything you have. Renounce it all. Now, Jesus was using hyperbole. He was exaggerating for emphasis. Um, it was also a comparison thing that he was doing. He was sort of like saying, okay, put your love for God here and then compare it to your love for everything else, including yourself, and it needs to look like hate compared to how much you love God. He was saying that, but everybody pause. Everybody pause, all right? Don't excuse or make light of what Jesus is saying. It would be really easy for us to say, oh yeah, it was hyperbole and it was comparison and he didn't really mean that you have to choose to follow him over keeping your family happy and their wants and what they think are their needs. He didn't really mean that you need to give every part of your life to him if you want to be his disciple. He didn't really mean that. He absolutely meant that. And if there is a time when it comes to, do I side with my family or do I follow Jesus? The answer's got to be, I follow Jesus. Because the best thing that you can do, even when it's somebody you love and care about that doesn't believe like you believe, the best thing you can do is show them a person who's completely sold out to Jesus and what he does with them. As much as it breaks their heart to think that we would be at odds with their children or our spouse. Eh, it might not be a break your heart that much sometimes. But break your heart with your spouse and giving up all your stuff. If Jesus is Lord of all, he's got to be Lord of all. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so Jesus is saying very clearly, don't cheapen it, don't lessen it. Don't cheapen or excuse Jesus' call to absolutely die to ourselves and our desires if we want to follow him. The absolute call of being a disciple of Jesus has to include the following. Die to yourself. Live in Jesus and follow Jesus. Let's look a little deeper at that first one, die to yourself. It's how you start following Jesus. It has to be the first thing that you do to truly follow Jesus. You can be one of those people for a while who's sort of at the back of the crowd listening, showing up every now and then, and that's fine. And we welcome people like that. If you're new, if you haven't been to church in a long time, or, or you don't know much about this Jesus thing, or you've never been to church, I, I don't care where you fit in, we're, we're glad you're here. And it's good for you to listen and, and evaluate and see what is all this Jesus stuff about? What is it to be a Christian? There's a time and a place for that. But once you come to understand who Jesus is, that's when the dying has to happen. That's when the dying has to happen. You have to die to yourself. And, and uh, I'm not going to go to this passage of scripture, but you can check it and, and read it on your own there. Acts 2.38 is the beginning of the church. Today is where we commemorate the day of Pentecost, the day the church began. Acts 2.38 is a recording of that event when the apostles stood up and preached the gospel for the very first time. 
It says they understood that they had crucified Jesus, who was the Son of God, and they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? And they were told, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were told to be, repent and be baptized because they believed in who Jesus was. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized into Christ, and the church began. So the very first thing that is said when the church comes into existence, when people need to know how to die to themselves, is repent and be baptized. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, his last words before ascending back into heaven after his resurrection, he says this. The last things he says, the last thing a person says ought to be important to us, right? Before they head up into heaven or before they take their last breath. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So the very last thing that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven is to go and baptize people to make them disciples. And he also says when the church begins through his apostles, he says, if you want to be a part of the church, then you need to repent and be baptized. And the beautiful thing is, is that in Romans chapter 6, which a lot of people sort of call the, the jewel of the New Testament because it has so much depth and richness, right there sort of in the middle of it in chapter 6, he, uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that baptism is a death and a burial and a resurrection with Jesus. So if you want to die to yourself, then you need to be baptized into his kingdom. You need to be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have to die to yourself. But it doesn't stop there. It's been said many times um, that we baptize people and we send them to hell to dry off. We baptize people and we send them to hell to dry off. Because we don't remind them and we don't teach them and maybe we don't show them. Now I'm speaking we generally here, right? I hope and pray that's not the truth of our church. But it's easy to fall into. But we want to show them that dying to self doesn't just happen that first time. It's got to happen every day. Because until Jesus comes back or we take our last breath, this old person, this old body, this old man, this old woman wants to keep coming back. It wants to keep coming back and coming back to life. And so we've got to die every day. Repentance is lifelong Baptism is an end of an old life, and it's a beginning of a new life. It's not simply the end. It's also a beginning, and repentance is lifelong. It says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Now, pay attention with me. I know this is a little bit of scripture here, but it, let's stick together here. He says, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I want to forget everything, everything but Jesus. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, now listen to this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know, now listen to this, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead that's a mouthful 
But what he is saying, if I can summarize a little bit, if I can sum it up a little bit, he's saying, I don't want to exist anymore. I just want to live for Jesus. And I look back, and I, I, I'm filling in because of everything else that Paul writes in multiple places. He's saying, I died to my old self, and I want to keep dying to my old self. And I want to live for him. And he says, becoming like him, in Jesus in his death. And he says, by sharing in his sufferings. You know what Greek word that is? The one we went through a couple weeks ago with Stuart, my friend, when he came and preached. It's the Greek word koinonia, fellowship. We don't like thinking of fellowship like that. We think about fellowship, we talk about chicken and all kinds of stuff. Mashed potatoes, that's what we think about fellowship, right? We want to eat together. But he says, sharing fellowship, koinonia, in the sufferings of Jesus. That's what I want. Verse 12, pick up, back up with me. Not that I have already obtained all this or am already made perfect. He says, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all perfect. But I press on to, take, uh, to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is like, I know that this is a daily battle and I'm going to keep pressing on. Every day my old self wants to come back, my flesh wants to come back, but I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to forget about what's behind. I love what Steve said. I love the fact that he said, you know, this old life, it, we're not owned by that anymore. We're not named by that anymore. We are a new creation, child of the king, because we died when we were buried in baptism with Jesus because of his death and burial and resurrection. And we're raised up, and that person doesn't exist anymore. We're free in Jesus. We're free in Jesus. We died to ourself. So keep dying daily to yourself. So that you can live in Jesus. So that you can live in Jesus. Now, part of this idea is addressed right there in Philippians 3. What he says. You know, he talked about dying, but he also talked about living. Straining towards what is ahead. Keep living and reaching out for the goal. And here's the thing. It's easy to focus on stopping doing the bad stuff once we become a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a Christian. And many of us get caught up on that, right? We just want to, you know, I don't um, drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. Y'all ever hear that? That's <laughs> like an old country saying. You know, we focus on, okay, I want to stop those bad things that I used to do that really used to control my life. And yes, that's part of it. We, we die to those things. But a lot of us get stuck there, don't we? Well, I don't do those bad things that I used to do. But then there's a lot of things that you need to add in and you need to start doing to follow Jesus, to live in Jesus. But most of us sort of get stuck. We don't really keep continuing to follow and living in Jesus. And we've got to continue to follow. Like we said, we don't want to just baptize people and send them to hell to dry off. We have to add the good things in or you could say live in Jesus. And once you die to yourself and you're raised to a new life, do you continue to live in Jesus? John chapter 15, Jesus said, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. He sounds very conditional there, doesn't he? He says, Those that do remain in me will bear much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and I will be, it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. He goes on in verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, Jesus says. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You still wait? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, stay close to me. I'm the vine, you're the branch. I changed a little bit there, didn't I? You are the branches, plural. A very healthy tree doesn't just have one branch, does it? We, as a part of the church, are one of many branches that each are a vital part of this plant that we are a part of, this body that we're part of, that Jesus bled and died for. And you and I need each other. And so if we're going to live in Jesus, we've got to stay connected. Remain in God's word. So I know you probably get tired of hearing this. And you might think, man, this is so simple, it's so simple, it's so simple. But Jesus says it, the Word says it all through the New Testament. Remain in God's Word. Study the Word of God. I'll stop repeating it when we all get it right. Including myself. We've got to be in God's Word. And then he says, produce much fruit. Can I tell you a little secret? Bearing fruit is addictive. It really is. It's really addictive. And if you've never really truly borne much fruit in your spiritual life, of course you'd think, well, man, I won't like it. It's hard. It's difficult. And yes, it is. But when you stay close to Jesus, when you get into his word and you start to allow it to fill you up to the point of overflowing, you start to bear fruit. It's not because you're trying harder. It's because you're just limiting yourself and dying to self and living in him. And when you start to do it, man, it becomes addictive because you like to see people's lives change through the power of the gospel as God uses you. Even if it's a small part, you can be used. So bear much fruit. He doesn't say just bear one fruit. He says what? Much fruit. Um, you know, when I was on, uh, started my weight loss journey, um, one of the things that I could eat was a, a few key fruits for the first few days to, you know, get your body jump started and losing weight and getting healthier and all that sort of stuff. And man, I'm telling you, I ate some strawberries. Much, many much, much strawberries, you know? And if somebody comes up and it's like, oh, here's a, here's a strawberry, you better watch out, you're getting punched. Because I was hangry for quite a bit. And it's like, you give, give me much fruit. I want much fruit. There's a difference between fruit and much fruit, right? And Jesus says, I want you to bear much fruit. That's right. He wants us to bear much fruit. So do what you need to do. Draw close to him. Get in his word so you can produce much fruit. Obey his commandments, he says. Do you think Jesus is trying to make a point here? He says, listen to my word. Obey my commandments. Do you think he wants us to be in his word? Jesus is repeating himself because it's important. We need to obey his commandments. So we hear the word, we listen to the word, but now he's saying obey it. So that means you are 
doing the word. And we talked about that last week. Can I, I like telling secrets. So don't tell me secrets you don't told. I'm just kidding. I'm pretty trustworthy. But I know I look at my life. And if I could take a guess and be presumptive, I look at some of your lives. And sometimes you feel pretty joyless, don't you? I mean, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but if you're being honest, are there times that you can be pretty lacking in joy? Jesus tells us a really important secret that we can just skim over because it's easy to focus on the vine and the branches. That's a cool little metaphor. But he says at the end of this, I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And so if you're looking for an answer, if you're looking for the big writing in the sky, it's right here in the word. If you want to have a joyful life, then you've got to stick close to Jesus and his church, the other branches. You've got to spend time in his word, hearing it and soaking it in and doing his word. Then you will start to have joy and bear much fruit. So I believe this is why so many Christians are joyless. And that's why people don't want to follow what we follow. Because they look at us and they, we look like we were nursed on lemons as a baby. But if they look and they see joy, they want some of that. They're searching for that. They're clawing for that. And so when we never truly live as Christians, we're missing out. Are you living in Jesus? Did you only die to Jesus or are you living in Jesus? And the last one is this. Follow Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus answered, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is asked, you know, what, was, what, what must one do to inherit eternal life? And this is his answer. And another time he answers similar when somebody says, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the first is, love, your, love the Lord God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says this thing multiple times, but in this particular case, he goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. And whether you go to church or not, you've probably heard this story. You may not even have known it was from the Bible, but it's a really powerful story about a guy who was robbed and left for dead on the side of the road, and three different people pass by. One's a priest, one's a Levite who works at the temple as well. These are spiritual leaders, and uh, they were heading on their way home probably from serving, and they probably had extra money from being paid. Uh, and this is stuff you kind of learn from looking at the history side of it. And they're coming along, and then the person that stops and helps this guy who's down in the ditch is a Samaritan. And a Samaritan, for, by most Jews, was considered not even a human being. They were on the level with dogs. They were not even human because they were half Jewish, half Gentile. And they thought they were reprobates. And so for the hero of the story to be the Samaritan, that was a, a stab in the heart to most Jews who were listening as Jesus told this story. But he shows us some really important lessons. He tells us first, go where you're uncomfortable. He had every reason, the Samaritan, just like the other two guys, had every reason to think, I'm probably going to get robbed too. This guy is probably either faking or he is just put out as bait. He got beat up and now the robbers are waiting for the next person to come along. And so they had every reason. So sometimes if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to go places that are uncomfortable. You're going to have to go to people and places that don't think like you and talk like you and vote like you and and love like you and look like you and smell like you. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to go. 
And I'm, it's hard. I'm not a stand up here saying, I've got it. Just like Paul, I haven't perfected all this stuff. I'm just telling y'all the truth. I need some people to come alongside me and follow Yellow Brick Road, so to speak, right? I need people to link arms and come along and, and go to these hard places because I need help with it too. And he goes on, he, t- he teaches us another thing. He says, give and give some more by telling this story. He goes and he takes his time. He gets off. He's on his way home probably. He takes his time. He goes and spends money and he leaves money to, to cover expenses. And then he says, on my way back, I'll give you more money if you need it. And God is calling us. Jesus is calling us. If you're going to follow me, you need to give and you need to give some more until it hurts. And then he tells us to go to people who aren't like you. So you go to uncomfortable places, you give and you give some more, and you go to people who aren't like you. You love God, you love your neighbor. Here at Movement, that's a part of what we talk about a lot, is about we're called to keep moving in Jesus until the neighborhood knows Jesus. And we make the connection that the neighborhood is the entire world. And sometimes because of that, we can sort of oversimplify and we think, well, I'm just going to go and love the world. Well, if you're called to love everybody, chances are you're probably never loving anybody. And so we cannot escape the fact that, yes, the neighborhood, our neighbors make up the entire world, but it also makes up the person to our right or to our left. While we sit in here and while we sit at home. Our neighbors are literally our neighbors, but it also extends. We're not exempt. We're not excused. We need to love everybody as we love God and love people. We have to follow Jesus where it is difficult. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Scripture says, for we are his workmanship. That is God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're a listener and you're new to this whole stuff or you haven't been around in a while, once again, this isn't specifically for you. You need to listen. But if you have said, I am a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, we have to put to death the idea, this idea that I just want to do a minimal amount and go to heaven. The scriptures tells us that God has prepared things for you and me to do in advance. Good deeds for you to do, to be light, to be salt. You need to do those things. God has things for you, for you, for me, for you watching online. For all of us, we all are called to serve. And we need to wrap our brains around that. So follow Jesus wherever and to whomever he leads. He's prepared good works for you. Walk in them, it says. Follow Jesus. And if you don't feel like you're being led... You're not listening. You ever, as a kid, or have you ever seen a kid um, tell you, you know, like you're trying to tell them something, or you're trying to tell them some bad news, and then they do something like this? No, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you. I'm not listening. Y'all are a tough crowd, y'all know that? Did y'all all nurse lemons before y'all came in here? If nothing else, you can just pity laugh because I look ridiculous. 
But we think that's childish, right? When a child or ourselves, when we were a child, do that. But spiritually, don't a lot of us walk around like that? Well, God hadn't called me to go to my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, he did. Bless your heart. I'm not listening. I can't hear you. And we look silly. We claim to be sold out followers of Jesus, but we're not listening. If you don't feel like you're being led somewhere, you're not listening. And the moment you go to where you're led, he's going to be leading you somewhere else or a little bit deeper. And so we need to listen, church. And here's an important truth that I want to use to tidy all this up. And all God's people said amen, right? The church has long used the term disciple like a verb, as in I'm discipling someone. And that's not wrong. It's not bad. Jesus said in Matthew 28, you know, we already mentioned earlier, go and make disciples. But the Greek there is simply a form of the word mathetes, which carries the idea to teach. And so in essence, what Jesus said was go and teach and baptize and then teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And so the reason I'm pointing this out, you might think I'm being nitpicky. The reason I'm pointing this out is at the end of the day, is everybody listening? At the end of the day, we can't make someone into a disciple. I can't make you be a disciple. You can't make me be a disciple. They or I or you have to follow. You have to decide, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. And so we can teach them, we can baptize them, and we can show them how to die to self, to live in Jesus and follow Jesus. We can show them these things and they can absorb it from us, from being elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder with us. And, and we help them follow, learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. But know this before we leave today. Watch it online before you turn it off. The impetus is on you. It's on you. It's on you. It's on you. It's on me. The impetus for being a disciple is not on the church. We're told, we're told to go and teach and to baptize and teach. It's not on your friend. It's not on your spouse. It's not on your parents. It's on you to decide, am I going to follow Jesus? Once you've been told, it's on you. And you may think, man, that's, that's harsh. Why are you saying that? Are you trying to say that the church is off the hook? Absolutely not. The church is told to go and to baptize and to teach, to teach, baptize, and teach more. But here's the thing. How many of us, how many people reject Jesus because they just want somebody else to try harder? And they're just using it as an excuse to not follow Jesus because it's hard. Are you following Jesus? Jesus, are you a disciple? The band's going to come out and going to lead us in a song, but I want to tell you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian in Nazi Germany. And in 1945, he was hanged for what was considered to be treason against the Fuhrer. Because he continued to live as a Christian, encourage other people to live as a Christian in that murderous regime. Before he died, one of the many things he said that was a completely powerful quote was he said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. And it absolutely did for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
And another time he said, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. This man lived the fulfillment of what he believed because that's what Jesus taught. He doesn't always mean that it's going to be a physical death because of your faith, but there has to be spiritual death. The first time in every day moving forward, have you died to yourself? Have you decided to live in him? And are you following him? Are you a disciple? So today, the first thing that you need to make sure you do, have you been baptized into Christ? Have you started? Have you died and been raised up to walk in a new life? Have you started that? That might be your decision today. And if you want to talk about that, if you want to study God's word to see what it says, we'll talk about that with you. But for those of us who have already done that part, are you continuing to die every day? Are you continuing to live in him? Are you continuing to follow him? Maybe God is calling you. We've got a discipleship study that we encourage people to go through. And we want our entire church family to go through this thing. For some of you, it'll be a repeat. You've done it. You know it. But we want everybody to be on the same page because we want people to decide with their whole heart that I am going to be a disciple of Jesus. I may have decided it 20 years ago, but I'm going to decide today. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. How, no matter how scary it is, no matter how rough it is, I'm going to follow him. So maybe you need to say, I want to be a part of the discipleship study because I want to follow Jesus more clearly. I want to take in his word. I want to obey his word. I want to follow Jesus. So there's a couple of things for you to think and pray about. Are you a disciple of Jesus? This thing is Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.